Welcome to the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Stephen Trinkwald, joined as always with uh, my co-host Eric Nemchok. Eric, how are you today? I am good, Stephen. Uh, had a good holiday. Hope you did too. I did. Thanks. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke, so uh, nice to be talking with you again. We're going to do things uh, a little bit differently this week as we will be focusing on a little bit of a college basketball preview as NCAA is starting up in we are, of course, a WNBA podcast, so we'll be focusing mostly on draft prospects and kind of how their seasons uh, will shake out some of the players that are projected to be at the top of the 2021 WNBA draft. But uh, Eric, you are, you've been covering the draft for a long time. How are you feeling overall about this class? Overall, I think this class is not very good. Of course, there's always the question of, you know, well, this player, like player X and player Y, they can declare early if they want to, but we don't know if they're going to. Or with the NCAA granting the extra year of eligibility if players want it, it's now a matter of well, anybody can go back to school. I think is that, is that what happened? I'm not I'm not exactly sure, but there's a lot of stuff that's up in the up in the air right now, especially with you know the COVID pandemic ongoing and lots of games getting canceled and postponed. Even like we're just starting out and games are already getting canceled, which is kind of worrisome. But as a class overall, like talent wise, I think this is probably one of the weaker weaker ones in uh, recent memory. Like 2017 wasn't that good either. I think this is probably the weakest since 2017, mainly in that there's no real surefire star. You know, there's no Sabrina Ionescu. There's no Satu Sabli. There's no Asia Wilson. There's no Brianna Stewart. Of course, players like that don't exactly grow on trees, but you usually have one or two players who you think, okay, this is a surefire all-star in each draft. I'm not really seeing it for this class yet, but a lot of basketball yet to be played. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and it seems like the one player that might be considered – uh, a surefire star in the making, Ryan Howard. It seems very unlikely that she'll become eligible for this draft. So let's start out towards the top in terms of some some players that you would project to be at least contending for the number one pick in the, the 2021 WNBA draft going into the season, kind of before everyone makes their final case. So honestly, so we uh, we did some notes here. I came up with five names. Honestly, I think I'm going to narrow this down to three. So I've got for the contending to be number one pick. I've got Ari McDonald from Arizona, Michaela Onyanwere from UCLA, and Arella Garantes from Rutgers. All very different players, but do you want me to kind of like go over them one by one? And Yeah, please. You I think okay. that would be good. So Ari McDonald is uh, a very exciting player to watch. She is a short-ish, like five foot six, really explosive lead guard. According to the Hoop Hall preseason watch list, you know, the... the NCAA has these awards at the end of the season, like best player for each position or whatever. For whatever reason, Ari McDonald is, keeps getting listed as a shooting guard, which is not really accurate if you watch any of Arizona's games because she's so ball dominant. She's a player who she's really, really quick. She gets into the lane basically whenever she wants. As far as a WNBA projection, I think she's going to be one of those players who can, who's going to lead, or if she's given starting level minutes, She's going to be near the top in transition opportunities. She's small-ish, but not like, you know, there are a lot of questions about Crystal Dangerfield heading into last year's draft. Uh, maybe they weren't so warranted, but I don't think there will be such questions about Ari McDonald because, or Ari McDonald, sorry, because she's a little bit stockier and she's probably a legit five foot six. Weird question, like, is Dangerfield really five five or is she five four? You know, it's it's small, but it's not horribly small. I think McDonald is going to be a primarily like a 
playmaking or point of attack defender at the WNBA level. Like she's kind of small to defend twos. And I don't think she has the off ball gravity to play that position on offense either, but she's so quick. I, like she, you know, I'm often, she kind of reminds me of Jordan Canada a little bit, but with a semi-functional jump shot and that she can get into the lane basically whenever she wants to. She is a very good finisher for her size. She has a lot of these crazy acrobatic and weird finishes. How you're like, well, how did she even get that up there? Let alone get it in. Um, I think she needs to improve her three point shot a little bit. She's shot under 30% from three the past two seasons at Arizona, but she's a very good two point shot. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, the stats, but she shot better from 50%, better than 50% from two the past two seasons at Arizona. So I think um, she's a, she's, yeah, she's a very dynamic player. Um, Going to be a lot of fun to watch play in transition. I'm not sure how many teams actually need a point guard right now, or at least lottery teams. So that's going to be interesting as far as her draft stock is concerned. But from a pure talent perspective, I think Ari McDonald is definitely a top three prospect. Okay. Do you think she's like, like a surefire WNBA starter or, or maybe someone that might be more of like, like a, a bucket getter off the bench? Like, well, how does she kind of profile into fitting into like a successful team? I think if she's going to play on a successful team, she needs to play with a lot of shooters. And it seems like we say this about a lot of point guards, but her strength is driving and kicking or driving and scoring or driving and drawing fouls. She's, she's a dribble penetration point guard. She can like, she can hit the uh, pull up two point jump shot if she wants to, but like the three point shot, she's going to need to prove that she can hit the three point shot when teams go under because teams will go under the screen versus Ari McDonald. So as far as a starter, I think she could be a starter in the league. I, I don't see why not. Like I said, if Jordan Canada can be a starting level player, I don't think McDonald is going to be the point of attack defender that Canada is, but they do share some similarities just as, you know, regarding body type and, and explosiveness and, overall game like around the basket and what have you so and she's she regarded could, as like a pretty pretty tough finisher around the hoop right yeah 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 she's she's a really she's a really fun finisher I'll just put it that way like she, like I said she puts a lot of shots up at the rim you're like how does she even get that up like she you got this really small guard going up against a lot of these you know bigger post players and she just has like these crazy like underhanded scoop shots or she finishes over people it's it's really fun to watch her play so I think she'd be best suited on a team with a, a, lot, a lot of floor spacing but if you can have her coming off the bench, like like I said, she's going to be a, a total demon in transition as well. So that's that's my thoughts on her for now. Like she said, two two straight seasons of really more or less carrying this Arizona offense. But she was also named the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year because she just racks up steals like crazy. So I think right now there's no way she's not a top four pick. It's kind of interesting to think about because we don't exactly have a draft lottery yet. Like I said, none of the draft lottery teams – really need a point guard but I don't know like which of the four teams would you say would most benefit uh, from having a player like that I mean hmm, that's tough I because like honestly I I would probably you know I think uh, I'm a bigger Ty Harris fan than I think you are but Dallas definitely comes to mind just to have but you know it doesn't sound like McDonald's shooting is really something that would complement Arike's ball dominance that much the fever have some options there but I think you know, if, if Vivian's is back and Kelsey Mitchell's on the floor, then, then that kind of does create the, the spacing that you're describing as what might make McDonald successful. So I, I think that might be a, a good fit. Obviously, like the, the Liberty are kind of set at point guard, I, I think a lot <laughs> of people would say, but, you know, uh, I'm always a, um, a believer in just draft the best player available, um, yeah. especially if you only have like a three game sample of uh, a prospect, even if they are considered to be a generational one, you know, just, just take who you think. Uh, the player you believe in so when well, you won two games last season I mean like what are you really drafting for yeah, need right. for you know 
Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a great point. So, but Indiana is probably the one that would jump out to me. But, you know, Alamund's a solid player, and uh, Erica Wheeler is definitely, you know, a well-respected uh, contributor in the league as well if, if she does return. I will tell you that if, if Ari McDonald um, somehow slips to Phoenix, they will be doing backflips. Like, that's – she's ideal for them. Okay, so moving on, uh, Michaela Onyanwere from UCLA. This one uh, you have some questions about. I have some questions about her too. In my opinion, she's the most interesting player in this draft class because, like, uh, I'm not really sure what her position is, and that could be interpreted, of course, as always, in both a good way and a bad way. But Onyanwere is just this elite athlete. Like, she's super explosive. She makes routine – or she makes really tough – athletic plays look routine um gets off the floor super quickly gives you that second and third efforts on the glass as a sophomore she actually grabbed nearly as many offensive rebounds as she did defensive rebounds so that alone really gives you an idea of like how explosive a player she is um the thing about onion is she's listed at six feet i think that might be a little generous so you have in our notes what is her WNBA position uh, She's categorized as a small forward on preseason watch lists. Once again, I'm not really sure if I agree with that because she's played mostly the power forward position throughout her career at UCLA, but they are switching to more of a five out offense at UCLA, which has been highly documented. It's kind of weird. Like that's five out offense is like a novel idea now. I I don't know. Um, She has, she's been developing like her ball skills, like dribble penetration and a three point shot throughout her collegiate career. I still think her three-point shot needs some work if she's going to play. I think she is a power forward on offense, a small forward on defense. Because okay. I think she's, I think she's too small to guard players, you know, like Alyssa Thomas or, or whoever. But on offense, she's still going to be able to beat people off the dribble. You know, she's still going to be able to sneak in there for rebounds. She's got a great nose for the basketball. I, I think she might just may, may need a year or two to really develop. But like as an athlete, she's probably the best athlete in this class. Like I, I can't say enough about her about just her explosiveness and her fluid athleticism. So what, what I wanted to ask about the, you had mentioned she's a, a small forward on offense and a power, I'm sorry, a small forward defensively because yeah. of maybe a lack of size and a power forward offensively. Is that just because of maybe a, a non-established jump shot or does she not really have the ball skills to, to play from the perimeter or is that something you, you are encouraged by? No, I think her ball skills are there. It's the jump shot that is not there yet. And that's something, and like that, she has been working on. Like you could tell just by the statistics, she has been working on her three point shot, developing that. And this new offense that UCLA is supposed to be running should benefit her even more in her development. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her like have a three, have a reliable three point shot by draft day, whenever that's going to be. But the ball skills are there, and the first step is there. Like she'll be able to beat people off the dribble, no problem. It's it's when they're going to sag back and you know make her shoot is when I'm concerned about okay would, would you categorize this one maybe as more of like a, an upside play just in terms of the the athleticism that that she yeah. has uh, you know that's kind of how you're describing her as like this super gifted athlete who maybe needs to kind of just like polish some things a little bit more yeah uh i'm kind of wondering if like alicia clark could tutor her maybe of course alicia alicia clark i i say that jokingly she's a a once in a lifetime case of a of a post player who, who like made her name in college for scoring a ton of points in the post and just totally turning her game on its on its head and turning into a, a really good small forward because of elite three-point shooting and basketball IQ and everything we love about Alicia Clark. But Onion Wary, I think that's that's the type of archetype she should strive to be. Uh, 
like I said, she's got the, she's got the ball skills. She's got the fluidity um, moving with or without the basketball. She's got the effort, you know, she's got the strength. It's all about can her skills catch up to her physical gifts, which is why I say give her a year or two, but I don't think you can afford to pass on her if you're a lottery team. Awesome. Let's move to, uh, I guess, the, the last player that you yeah. are kind of seriously considering for this spot in Arella Grantes. So she like, as, for a height, for a wing, she's got like average height. She's like five foot 11, but she's really strong. And if you're looking for a pure scorer in this draft, Garantes is probably your best bet, in my opinion. She's just got this, first of all, she's a legit three-level scorer, which is something we talk about on the show a lot. She can shoot the three ball both spotting up or coming off screens. She can pull up for the mid-range, and she can definitely get to the rim and finish. Like last year for Rutgers, she ranked ninth in the country in total free throw attempts. She shot over 200 free throws, uh, free throw rate of about 20%. I think Garantes is one of those players who you think about, if the ball stops and the ball is in this player's hands, she will own whatever space she has. Like she can go left, she can go right. She can pull up over the defense. She can shoot over the defender. She can post them up. Like she will dominate that space one-on-one. I think maybe her playmaking could use a little, uh, a little bit of a boost, but like her assist to turnover ratio has improved ever since she's, she transferred to Rutgers. So I honestly don't know why she might be overlooked in this class a little bit. I, the thing is like Steven for this class, like I said before, there are no future star or future surefire stars. So maybe that's a little bit of a straw man argument there, but I don't know, like big 10, not really a conference known for its defense and she's on Rutgers, but like at the same time, you know, Rutgers turns out a lot of quality WNBA players, like just recently, uh, Kelly Copper and Benajah Laney, both pretty good wing players. And I think Garantes is next in line for Rutgers. Um, she is, she's a bucket. <laughs> she's a problem. As the kids say, she's, she can light it up from basically anywhere on the floor get to the rim and finish like nobody's business. Definitely a WNBA body. Yeah. Like I said, if you're looking for a scorer, Garantes is, is your player. Okay. It sounds like uh, I know the answer to, uh, or your opinion of what I'm going to ask, but like, do you think her, her physicality is going to translate to the next level? Do you think she's oh, yeah. going to be able to kind of use that strength against WNBA players as well? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, maybe not against like the really burly ones, but I mean, she's got the length and she's got, you know, I wouldn't characterize her as being super explosive, like a, like an onion wedding, but for a wing, she's definitely got, you know, she's definitely got the hops and the strength to get to the rim. Like, if you look at some of her finishes, uh, she's able to finish with both finesse and with power. And that's a really good thing to have in a wing score. I mean, she can score basically from anywhere on the floor. So, yes, I think she will be able to translate pretty immediately. Okay, awesome. So so that's three that are kind of in, in consideration for number one. Who else would yeah. you say um, is kind of vying for that last lottery pick? Obviously, it's early, and there are probably a ton of players who, you know, yeah. we're not really seriously considering. But who would you say is kind of, um, at least in terms of, you know, NCAA players, obviously there's a strong international pool as well. Mm-hmm. But among these players, like who who's kind of vying for that last lottery spot? I would say Rania Davis from Tennessee. Um, she's another player who is very physically gifted kind of waiting for her to put it all together. Although, I mean, she has improved at Tennessee in a couple key areas. She's a big wing. She's like six foot two, which you already look at and you say, okay, she's got the tools to become a really good perimeter defender. Um, Steal rate, it's been like so-so, but like the length is there. The athleticism is there. Um, Under a good coach, like Tennessee has had some, I'll put it lightly, issues in the the recent past, uh, ever since Pat Summit retired as far as player development is concerned, 
but she has gotten a lot better assist to turnover ratio. Like as a sophomore, not good, 0.53. As a junior, an even one, right? So if she can at least be decent in that area in, in playmaking, either playmaking or just taking care of the basketball, I think that'll go a long way. Um, her shooting numbers aren't eye-popping, but like if you look at Rania Davis's highlights, so many of her shots are like these crazy step back or turnaround jump shots that you're like, wow, she can create a lot of separation and she can elevate over smaller defenders, which is in college, basically everybody because she's six foot two. It kind of makes me wonder what her numbers would look like if the degree of difficulty of her shots weren't as high. Um, so I think as a, she's another physical pro, like another prospect who like physically speaking, she's not going to go like any lower than six or seven, just because her upside is so high. Um, but I think a really solid season for Tennessee and just, I don't know, just a, a role for Renia Davis where she puts it all together and shows that she can lead a team, you know, not just this really toolsy prospect who gets a lot of flashy buckets, but, you know, leads a rebuilding team back into contention. I think that could do her some good. And then Natasha Mack from Oklahoma State. Can, can we stop on Davis real quick? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Sorry. You her as kind of like um... – you know, a primary option offensively, or is she going to be more of like a complimentary player who's mm. kind of like part, part of maybe a, a good offense rather than the driving force behind one? That's a good question. Um, I'd see her as a complimentary player now. Uh, honestly, like in this class, I don't think I'd consider Garantes to be a primary offensive threat either, at least not yet. Um, and McDonald, she's, just, she's a, a ball-dominant scoring point guard. But like, again, I don't think there's any players in this class who are really going to be that uh, we're going to be building a team around, if you will. Um, but Davis, I mean, I, I would have no problem. Like, if, if Davis was, like, my third option on the wing, I'd be like, oh, I'm in a great position. Does, does that answer your question? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, right. And she's definitely a player who, you know, hopefully as that kind of shot diet changes in a better system where, mm -hmm. you know, so hopefully some of those tougher shots just kind of uh, get removed from, from her profile and, and she's able to kind of take some more in the flow of the offense and yeah like I, I do not want to see Renia Davis playing for Mike Tebow let's put it that way as a Sky fan like like please no yeah sure. <laughs> you've got enough you want me to move on now yeah let's talk about Mike. okay yeah so Natasha Mack uh, Oklahoma State another really interesting player I'm not quite sure what to think yet I, I initially had her really high but then there are some things that I like I looked deeper in her in her profile I didn't really like um first things first um she's only played one season in a par five or in, in division one actually like she spent her first two seasons as a in as JUCO playing in JUCO as the number five overall prospect according to ESPN Hoop Girls. That's that's kind of interesting because usually if you're thinking like a top 100 prospect, like okay they're going they're going power five no question. Um, but she she played at a community college for a couple of years, which is interesting. That could be spun either way. Like it could be either okay, well you know she played JUCO for two years, so maybe she's not that good, or oh you know she she was overachieving in JUCO and then she comes into Oklahoma state and puts up 17 and 12 in her first division one season. Like, okay, that's, that's good. But ultimately what that means is we just have don't, not a lot, not a lot of information to work with, at least not as far as watching her development as a division one player. Um, but I mean, her stats from her junior year at Oklahoma state, there are a couple of things that are eye popping. She was in the 100th percentile in defensive rebounding percentage, 99th percentile in block percentage right away that paints a picture of a player who is physically dominant, at least on defense. Um, but there are a couple things I'm not so sure about. For one, in the Big 12, and this is something I'm going to hit on later, uh, <laughs> Big 12 is like this conference where it's Baylor 
and then everyone else. Um, maybe like Iowa State and Texas too, but what, what I like to do when I'm looking at prospects from the Big 12 is do they pass the Baylor test? Brittany Brewer last year from uh, Texas Tech, she played really well against Baylor, and that's a pretty darn good sign. Natasha Mack last year, not so much. She struggled against Baylor. She, str- she struggled against Iowa State, but she still put up really good numbers overall. So I'm wondering, like, how much of that is against weaker competition? Also, like, her points per shot attempt, 1.08, according to her hoop stats. That's not that good for a player of her archetype, which is a, she's like, she's six foot four. She's not a three point shooter. So she's someone who you'd, you'd expecting to be a physically dominant player. But that points per shot attempt, not that efficient. And her free throw rate, not great either. So this is a really key situation for, for Mac. Um, like Oklahoma State wasn't really that good last year. Not sure if they're going to be any good this year either. But one, can she play against uh, better against the stronger competition in the Big 12? And two, can she improve at least a couple of those peripheral statistics to prove that she's not just putting up empty stats against bad teams? Yeah, this is a player that, um, you know, a uh, friend of the show, Ben Dole, recently released his his first kind of, uh, not mock draft necessarily, but kind of uh, power rankings for, yeah, big board, thank you. And, and Mac was kind of way down there. And, and I think some of the uh, reason he started on a recent podcast was kind of something that you had alluded to, which was, you know, not really playing with the physical presence offensively. Like it was more kind of relying on, on turnaround jump shots and yeah. things that aren't necessarily going to translate to the next level. And you know, that points per shot attempt for kind of a, a more, you know, not a three-point shooter, like maybe a more, you know, inside the arc post player, like definitely something that kind of, you know, sounds the alarms a little bit in terms of like, are you taking the most efficient shots that are available for you? Um, but maybe that's just a, a, a situation where, you know, Oklahoma State doesn't necessarily have the the um, perimeter players to kind of put her in the best situation, or, or maybe that's just something that could be cleaned out of her game altogether. Well, you know, and this is, this is something I was actually looking for today. Um, Oklahoma State played today against uh, Oral Roberts. And for, just to get this out of the way, <laughs> these non-conference plays, play, this, these non-conference games really drive me nuts because you've got Power 5 schools just annihilating, like, smaller schools with not as much basketball talent. Of course, during the, you know, a COVID-19 pandemic, teams are looking to stay local during uh, non-conference play, which I think is a great idea. But Regardless, you're not going to see it like this is this is a rough time to be evaluating, you know, WNBA prospects because they're just playing against inferior competition. Um, Mac only took nine shots in this game, whereas uh, Fields and Asbury uh, for Oklahoma State, they combined to take 33 shots and that's their starting backcourt. So if Oklahoma State like totally turns this around and says, OK, we're going we're going backcourt this year, like we're, we're, we're focusing more on our on our perimeter players, you know, taking more threes this season. Um, so Natasha, you're, you're, you're just focusing on taking more efficient shots that could make her, make her draft stock or it could break it too. You know, like she scored six points on nine shot attempts today against Earl Roberts, not exactly the dominant play that her, her, like her statistics from last season would suggest. So, like I said, a very interesting, um, a very interesting archetype, a very interesting player. Uh, you don't really see this type of a profile from a player who transferred from Juco, you know, every day. So, uh, I think she's got the most to out of the five players we talk about. She's most, she's definitely got the most to gain and also the most to lose. Okay. So, so for some of these players that we have touched on, maybe some others, if there is anybody else that you kind of wanted to hit on, like 
what, what are some of the maybe specific aspects of these players' games that you're hoping to maybe see more of, whether it's just volume or, or be better developed overall over the course of this season that'll kind of be more encouraging for you for their future as WNBA players? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so for Michaela Onyewere, I mean, I already said this, but she needs to keep working on her three ball because the ball skills are there. The athleticism is there. It's just the next logical development in her game. And, it, and this three-point shot will determine, in my opinion, it will determine how quickly she can adjust to the WNBA level. Renia Davis would be the shot selection. <laughs> like if she can just maybe modernize her shot profile a little bit more, uh, make these take more aggressive takes to the rim instead of, you know, pulling up for two-point shots or, or doing these fadeaway two-point shots, step, uh, step back two-point shots. I think she could be a really good one. Ari McDonald, the only thing that's missing is a consistent three-point shot. And like I said, Erla Garantes, I think she needs to continue as a playmaker for others because she will get into the lane, but she's not always going to be able to get a good look at the rim at the WNBA level. So I think if she – like she can get there no problem, but if she can develop that skill, I think this is something that like Diamond to Shields – has has improved at or needs to improve at, but just kind of dumping it off. You know, beats the defender off the dribble, stops, dumps it off to the post player who's open. That's something that Garantes could uh, could get better at. And then Mac, I mean, again, this is hard to say because like her profile is so weird. But I'd like to see her at least pass more because her assist rate for a player of her usage last year was very low. Or draw more fouls. You know, just be more aggressive down there. Like you're six foot four, you have you have the physical capability to be much more efficient on offense than, than what you are. So either, either, either cut out the finesse shots or look to draw more fouls basically. Okay. And you know, for onion wet and for maybe to a, a little bit of a lesser extent, McDonald, like the free throw shooting numbers are, are encouraging enough that you, mm-hmm. you think there's at least something there for a three point shot to develop. So, Oh yeah. Yeah, for oh. sure. Uh, actually like free throw shooting, I believe onion wet is actually a better three, uh, free throw shooter than McDonald is, but yeah, she's like uh, in the 80%. Or yeah, actually, Ari McDonald has not been that great. I think she's around the 75. Is that, does that sound about right? Like yeah. about 75%, you know, and maybe and here, here's, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Maybe Ari McDonald, it's just a situation of her having the ball in her hands so much at Arizona that a lot of those three point looks aren't very clean. You know, I could see her, I could see her becoming like a, a 33, 34% three point shooter pretty easily. But Onion Wede, it's like, yeah, that might, it's going to be a work in progress. Okay. So one thing I wanted to ask about is, you know, I think this can happen sometimes in, um, in, in draft situations. And, and UConn, I think, is like the, the premier example where like team success or, or being like a, a pretty good college player, but playing alongside great players and, and really having a ton of team success can propel a player higher in the draft than, than yeah. might necessarily, uh, you know, they deserve like you know Morgan Tuck or Katie Lou Samuelson are there any players um in this class where you're kind of worried that that playing on such a stacked roster or or having team success might propel them a little bit too high on draft boards not in particular not this year uh once again I think a lack of well first of all most of those teams don't really have that many prospects this year so that's that's hard to say um maybe well UConn has a player Avina Westbrook uh who I really like, but she's, she's, she's a big point guard. She's like five eleven, six feet and she's a point guard. Uh, so a, a very interesting physical profile there, but I, I think, I think she's going to be the real deal. We'll see Baylor maybe um, because they have a player, DD Richards, who very interesting player. She's pretty athletic. She's a great defender, but her jump shot just looks 
absolutely horrid. Like she barely gets off the floor when she shoots. It's, it's a very funky looking shot. Um, but she actually suffered a, I believe, a spinal injury recently. Very frightening injury. And we don't know when she's going to be back. So I'm, I'm going to hold off on that for now. Stanford's got an interesting guard named Keanu Williams. I know uh, Ben is really high on her. But again, she's not a player who I would consider to be taken very early in the draft anyway. Maybe like late first round, early second. Because the thing about Stanford is they've always played a very egalitarian style of basketball. Like they've had plenty of WNBA prospects, but like their most recent star, I would say would be like Shnei Gumake, and that was like six years ago already. So I don't think there's going to be a case in this class of say a Nafisa Collier making a Katie Lou Samuelson look really good, you know, something like that. Or, you know, like I, that, that may be a little unfair to say just a Katie Lou Samuelson playing on, on, on a UConn where, all those players look really good, but not all of them translate to the WNBA. Is, does that answer your question? Yeah, exactly. That, okay, that, okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's any players in this class like that for now. Um, something we'll have to see develop throughout the season, but as for now, I don't think so. Okay, the reverse of that, like, are there any prospects that you think might get overlooked because they're maybe not on, like, a, a powered team or they're on a mid-major or their team just, you know, isn't going to be very good, so yeah, their, their, their stock might uh, be suppressed because of that? Yeah, Um. Well, we have the Big 12 teams not named Baylor. So that's Mac for Oklahoma State. Lauren Hurd for TCU. I, they were not ranked very highly in the preseason poll, I think. And uh, they took exception to that. So we'll see. Lauren Hurd is another guard who kind of carries her team in both passing and, and, and scoring. Vivian Gray on Texas Tech. Uh, really good scoring numbers. I honestly haven't seen much of her. But again, for teams not named Texas or Baylor in the Big 12, kind of difficult to na- make a name for yourself. Um, Camaria McDaniel for Penn State uh, in the Big Ten. Penn State's going to be awful, but McDaniel is a is another very explosive lead guard who may be able to make some noise for herself if they're not horrible. And then for mid majors, like th- this happens every year. It seems like there's a there's a guard who just carries a mid major team, puts up really really high usage, you know, leads the country in scoring or is top three in the country in scoring. Um, Michaela Kelly from Central Michigan strikes me as the type of player who is maybe like Stella Johnson from Ryder last season, Sierra Dillard from Buffalo a couple of seasons ago, where they just put up these numbers that are too too strong to ignore. But still people are saying, oh, you know, mid-major, you know, I'm carrying mid-major level competition. They're not sure. So Michaela Kelly from Central Michigan is a name to watch there. Other mid-majors players maybe. Nancy Mulkey from Rice, who is a giant. I think she's like six foot eight or six foot nine or something like that blocks a ton of shots you would obviously say but um again the mid-major thing might play a, a role in kind of diminishing her draft stock selena lott for marquette i think is a player whose statistical profile i really like like she's ben describes her as a a future three and d player but i think her three her two-point shooting was like over 60 percent in the past couple seasons so that's something i really like about her um chelsea perry from ut martin haven't gotten a lot of time to watch her but it has been suggested to me. I think his name is James Yorkman on Twitter. So James, shout out for the for the scout. I'll check out uh, Chelsea Perry in the future. This is another one where it's like a lot of these players, Stephen, you know, sometimes in college, a player will get thrust into an opportunity when she's a junior or a senior and just take this huge leap in usage or a huge leap in scoring. And they'll just suddenly burst onto the scene. For a mid-major player, I think that's, a little difficult to overcome because they weren't because one, they play for mid-major and two, they weren't doing it for, you know, three or three seasons or four seasons. You know know what I'm saying? So this isn't, that's a question where I think we kind of need to watch the games play out a little bit. 
maybe usually you'd think like the NCAA tournament is a great way for players to, for these types of players to show their stuff. Well, guess what? If the NCAA tournament gets canceled again, that's, that's going to be a problem for these players. So we'll see what happens, but those are the names I, I think might get kind of dinged for either being on a lousy team or, or not a very highly regarded team. Yeah. People probably, Oh, maybe rightfully so kind of want to see that, that body of work over multiple seasons. Uh, yeah especially for, for a mid-major for Kelly specifically, like that, that high volume, uh, you know, kind of probably near the nation in scoring. Like, do you think her game specifically will translate or will it be kind of one of an instance where, you know, she was just playing against much inferior competition and uh, it probably won't kind of, you know, make it to the next level in, in that regard. I mean, how many teams right now, like I said, how many teams right now would want a play, like a ball dominant, player like that you know i mean i you could say the same same thing about Ari mcdonald but again not a mid-major he's a power five team leading a team to like a top 10 finish so um i i think i'd have to watch more film on michaela kelly it's again like like the players who i mentioned previously like stella johnson i thought would have been a good WNBA player jury's still out on her because you know the bubble season was so anomalous i don't i don't know i don't know it's it's it's, it's a big adjustment for a player like that to make dominating the ball and dominating much, much inferior teams to going to the WNBA level and probably being asked to basically take a backseat to everybody. So that's something that you're just going to have to, I, I think for like Kelly, dribble penetration and three-point shooting. Like those are the things you, you need your guards to do in the WNBA. Can she do that? Can she do either one of those things, preferably both at a high enough level for a WNBA team to say, yeah, sure. Why not? We'll take a flyer on her, make her adjust her role. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, and, and just kind of from like an overall perspective, like where where is like the deep talent pool in this draft? Like what position would you say is really going to be kind of strong in this draft class? I would say guards. There aren't a lot of big name front court players in this class that really interest me apart from Onyanwere. And I think she's going to be more of a perimeter player as her career develops and professionally as well. You've got like, you've got some international players here who I think could make a name for themselves as as highly drafted front court players. But other than that, I mean, there's just a lot of <laughs> extremely average, no, no offense intended, but just extremely average, not very exciting front court players and wings. Like they fall off drastically after uh, Grantes and Davis. So I think guards, like there aren't a ton of, again, I'm going to go back to it. There aren't a ton of star caliber guards, but there are a lot of guards who I could see getting taken in like the, like from pick 10 onwards, like late first round or early second round players like, uh, I'm just going to list some Ellie Padberg from Indiana, Chelsea Dungy, Destiny Slocum and Amber Ramirez all from Arkansas. Um, Keanu Williams again from Stanford, Kayla Wallace from Texas A&M, Kiara Lewis and Tiana Mankakahia from Syracuse. Selena Lott, like I said, I like her from Marquette. Laura Hurd from PCU. Stephanie Watts back at North Carolina. She played her first few seasons at North Carolina transferred this to uh south california and now she's back at north carolina so that's interesting collegiate career arc there but she's she's a player who i think uh has 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 the tools to be drafted like early second round mid second round but uh yeah i think there's gonna be a lot you're gonna see a big glut of guards in that late first round early second round mid second round from teams just looking for the best player available you know like i don't think dallas is gonna be like okay we gotta take another guard but you know just players who like have, have the upside or, or have you show they can do at least one really good thing 
like a really good three-point shooter or a really good lockdown perimeter defender, something along those lines. Yeah, and do do any of those guards um, do any of those guards for you really kind of like stick out more as like solid first round picks rather than like kind of fighting for the end of the first round and, and maybe more likely like second or third round picks? At the moment, no. Maybe Manga Kahia because like she can run a team. Like she puts up incredible assist numbers as a as you've no doubt seen, and also an incredible story. Um, she sat out last season uh, as she was fighting breast cancer, and she beat breast cancer, which is amazing. Um, and she's back playing now. She played today. But Syracuse, the one thing I need, I need to point out is, well, two things. Um, again, ball-dominant guard. How many teams are going to be drafting for a ball-dominant point guard? And two, Syracuse has, like, this history of running, like, everything through their point guards. So I'm not trying to, to, to discredit her high assist numbers. Just put a little bit of perspective behind them. Like, another one uh, – Alexis Peterson, uh, a Syracuse product from a few years back, who I really liked, had really high assist numbers, but I guess teams just weren't very high on her as a shot creator at, at the pro level. I'm afraid Manga Kahia might fall into that, into like a similar, a similar pitfall. But I think she could get drafted late first round. Maybe someone like Pat Berg or maybe Keanu Williams. The problem is, Stephen, like none of these guards are, I don't want to say they're not star level players, but they don't excite me to the point where like, Oh yeah. You know, late first round pick. If she's there, I'm definitely taking her. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of room to, to maneuver around it. And I don't think a lot separates many of these players. So very much, you know, eye of the beholder or kind of maybe yeah. at that point you are going a little bit more for fit, how a player might kind of um, work with the rest of the, the players around and, you. Yeah. And just like a specific skill set. like for example, um, I'm going to, I'm going to use the Arkansas players as a, as an example here, like Dungey versus Ramirez, like Amber Ramirez, very much a three-point bomber like she's a very very good three-point shooter whereas Chelsea Dungy more of a volume scorer who's going to be getting most of her points attacking the rim and getting the free throw line Arkansas you need to be careful because Mike Neighbors is a coach who encourages very fast pace you know one two pass jump shot one two pass jump shot get to the rim if you can or jump shot like 10 seconds or less I don't know what's the equivalent of a, like Mike D'Antoni in the NCAA would that be like 10 seconds or less yeah that's that's kind of how Arkansas plays and while that's fun to watch and like a lot of their guards put up big numbers I would I would I would caution I would take some caution in, in asking how those numbers are going to translate I, you'd have to look more at, at specific skills there yeah and Arkansas is you know kind of a fascinating scenario because they have those three prospects were which you know maybe is uh kind of getting a, a little bit to what i was asking before where maybe you're you're kind of getting propped up by so much talent around you relatively speaking but yeah yeah that's a good, I, that's a good point that's a good point because they've got destiny slocum as well she transferred and uh she's another player who i think is like she's exciting and that she can create a lot of difficult looking shots and make those difficult looking shots look good but getting to the rim i'm not i'm not sold on her she's not really that particularly explosive i don't know that's 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 a good thing to to watch for steven actually like which one of those three players will emerge as the best dub available prospect because they all like they're all guards but they all excel at different things so it's like which one of those things is legit which one of them it might be kind of smoke and mirrors you know yeah and that specific player type like uh, i make my living kind of hitting tough shots against college players that's one yeah. where i'm really kind of like skeptical about because you know the the contests and and kind of what you you know what a difficult shot is in the college game compared to what a difficult shot is you know if you're not getting easy looks on this level then you know those are going to be really really tough sh shots at the next level right like for somebody like Renia Davis I'm not going to be concerned about that because she's so huge and she can just 
you know, you know, well, a good coach will take that out of her game and, and keep her effective. But like for someone like Slocum, who's like five, six, five, seven, I don't have the exact height in front of me, but she can't be much taller than that. For someone who, who can't rely on her athleticism to get to the rim on, on a consistent basis, or is not going to be a wing stopper, like those, those difficult looking shots in the college level are going to be like, well, how are you going to help my basketball team at the pro level? All right. So, so outside, you know, we talked a lot about players that are likely to be in this class or, or definitely going to be in this draft class outside of Ryan Howard, who we mentioned before out of Kentucky, what, what are some of the players who probably won't be eligible for this class, but are like definitely, you know, blue chip high draft pick type prospects that we should maybe keep our eye on this season for future drafts. Yeah. Um, okay. So Ryan Howard will be the number one pick next year. <laughs> I'm going out on a limb and saying that now she is, she's incredible. If you can watch Kentucky, just do it. Like not, not for, not for a WNBA draft this year, but for next year, like Ryan Howard is extremely gifted player, but um, I like uh, Nalissa Smith from Baylor. I like Alyssa Cunane from NC state, both front court players, but they both go about their, their business in different ways. They both dominate the game in, in, in different ways. Like Melissa Smith, more of a, a face up and very good, in a, in like a crashing the glass type of player was Cunane is a more of a skilled back to the basket type of player. Aliyah Boston, just a sophomore from South Carolina, but she's already made her name as one of the best interior defenders in the WNBA. Rakia Jackson from Mississippi State. I like her as a skilled forward. Um, UConn's got a couple up-and-coming players in Olivia Nelson-Adota, uh, really good shot-blocking center, and Kristen Williams, who is a like a three-level scoring guard. Charlie Collier from Texas. This is an interesting name because she, her name has been dropped as like a – she's a junior this year, but she can enter the draft if she wants to, I believe. And given the current climate of everything going on, she might want to leave. I'm, of course, I'm, this, is, this is totally up to her. I'm not, I'm not saying she should or she shouldn't. But if she does leave, given this current class, I think she has the potential to be a lottery pick. She is a legit like 6'4 center who is also developing very nicely as a stretch five. I think she scored like 45 points today or something ridiculous. She got to the free throw like, like 18 times. Really exciting player. Naz Hillman from Michigan, more of a – Kind of like in the mold of Bree Jones, I would say. Like uh, gravity, gravity is her is, is her nemesis, but she uses her body effectively, and she's a very strong rebounder, very strong player and finisher inside. So, another Big Ten player to keep your eye on. Overall, next year's class I think is going to be stronger than this one, but we'll see what happens with these early declarations. Like, uh, if if Collier does enter the draft this year, I think she'll be an, uh, a lottery pick, and in the future, you know. These players like Smith and Cunane and, and Jackson and Boston, and Kristen Williams, probably more exciting than the players that we're talking about today. Yeah, so maybe a, a player like Collier, you know, hearing the rumbles that this is a little bit of a, a weaker yeah. class does decide to, to leave school early exactly. and kind of take advantage of maybe um, being able to break into that lottery. Exactly, because if you're drafting the top four, you believe that you're – the CBA is that you get, you get paid a little bit more as a top four pick, correct? That's correct, yeah. Okay. So. Why not take advantage of that if, if you can? Why not? And, you know, given that uh, these, games are, 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 these games are already dropping like flies, you know, like if you can go pro, do it. Any other players that you wanted to, to touch on or just kind of before we wrap up just in terms of a, a player to watch or uh, do you think we kind of covered everything here? Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, at least mention Dana Evans from Louisville. Interesting lead guard player. She kind of reminds me of like everything that Ari McDonald is and everything, or sorry, everything that Ari McDonald isn't. Because she's about the same size, about five foot six, but rather than being a a lead guard that's 
super quick, lightning quick, who gets to the rim like nobody's business as, as a driving kick type of player. Dana Evans is mainly a three-point shooter, and she can shoot the heck out of the basketball. She shot 43% on seven attempts per game last year, which, I mean, you want volume. Like, that's, that's pretty good volume. But her two-point percentage, conversely, has never been that great. In ACC play, ACC is generally, generally regarded as a top two, top three at worst conference in college basketball. She was under 40% from two-point uh, two range the last two seasons. I don't think she really has the explosiveness getting into the – or, like, not really going to be a threat to get into the paint in the WNBA. Not really that quick, not really that strong. But, you know, if, if you give her a screen, if you give her a ball screen, she'll make the right decision. She can pass. If she does get in the lane, she's shown the ability to, you know, drop it off to make the smart play. And she can shoot the heck out of the basketball, like I said. So – I think she'll also be like mid first round, maybe late second round. If, if Chicago gets lucky, hint, hint, but the Louisville pedigree might be overrating her just a little bit. I, she strikes me as more of just like a safe pick for later first round teams, higher teams, higher in the draft may want someone with a little more potential. Yeah. Maybe that's, you know, the situation where with uh, all these picks that Dallas has coming up, they, they take the point guard who fits a little bit better with, uh, you know, an, an Enrique Gumbawale. Where, yeah. And you can kind of, you know, you don't have to go for the, the high upside play when you kind of have all these chances. But Well, and we saw that last season. Like, Marina Mabry, great fit next to Enrique, right? Yeah, exactly. Not a player who's really going to get all the way to the rim or, or finish inside over a lot of size, but uh, gives you exactly what you need in, in the floor spacing. So Right. But, like, now that you mentioned Dallas, I mean, they have – once again, they have a ton of picks. In this class, I'm not really convinced. Like, that's this isn't the best class to have a lot of picks in. So I would not be surprised if they – try to make a trade and try to consolidate some of those. I mean, they've got three of the top seven. Whereas they're a team that like they're, they're a team that is already pretty already went all in in the draft last year. So you know, like at some point you guys say, okay, we, we gotta, we gotta pick some players, you know, it's tough dude, because the WNBA, I mean, there's only 144 if that, cause you know, some teams are, are hampered by salary restrictions. It's tough. Like if you're not playing, if a player is not playing at the best possible level, or showing a WNBA, a skill that convinces WNBA teams to keep her. I mean, every single season, there are a couple dozen players who could come in and, and make some noise. And I feel like this is maybe getting off the rails a little bit here, but I think that teams are kind of like under an obligation to keep the picks that they draft really high anyway. So it's like for Dallas, I mean, they've got, geez, they've got four picks in the top 13. Who are they going to cut? You know, yeah, and that's, if, if, if nothing else, just for the optics of it, you know, exactly. It's, I can't, I can't cut my first round pick from last year. Like, how would that make me look like, how would, how would the ownership think of me? You know, if I'm exactly cutting exactly. this pick we just took. And that's why I think in a class like this year, I think Dallas is maybe this is maybe looking forward a little, a little too much, but I think Dallas is like a sure bet to draft an international player because it's like, okay, well we can just stash her for a season or two. Um, plus the plus for cap reasons, other teams might be doing that as well. Awesome, man. That was um, some really great insight into some of these players. I, I might even start watching some of these players. Uh, you know, Howard in particular, I think I'm, I'm going to have to check out. And Oh, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I know you, for, for your listeners, uh, I don't want to like hijack this because Howard's technically not a WNBA. There, there is a way she can like be in the WNBA draft, but it's kind of a unique way. Like she has to graduate from Kentucky in three years rather than four and then it's it's unlikely. It's Whereas unlikely. I, I believe if you just kind of meet the age requirement, you you don't have to graduate early. You can just yes. after three years. But as far as I know, she does not meet the age requirement. If that's wrong, if somebody wants to correct me, please feel free to do that. Like I'm not a CBA expert. Um, but yeah, 
Howard, I think it'd be pretty difficult for her to, there would be some hoops to jump through. We'll put it that way. But yes, please watch, please watch Ryan Howard. Please watch Arella Garantes. Please watch Ari McDonald, Michaela Onyanwede, Natasha Mack, Renia Davis, Dana Evans, and all these players we mentioned. Um, it's going to be a fun season if, uh, <laughs> if it can continue. But yeah, that's, it's, it's always a fun time of year, you know, getting, getting the draft board up, kind of seeing who's going to be at the top, who might be at the top, and then watching your opinions develop throughout the season, you know? Yeah, just kind of by you describing their games, like Onion Wede is one where I really kind of want to uh, check her out and see sort yeah. of how she profiles. You know, it seems like and a very- uh, little bonus here. Uh, some of these games might be, you know, some conferences make their games very accessible to watch. Other conferences, not so much. The good thing is UCLA does, like a lot of the Pac-12 schools, they have like student-produced broadcasts for home games. So if you want to watch Onion Wedding, like the broadcast, don't expect like great, don't expect like league pass quality, but you will actually be able to see her play for free. Whereas like some of these non-conference games, it's kind of annoying. Like what was the game you wanted to watch today? It was uh, Arkansas versus Maryland. I think it was Maryland. And you got to pay flow hoops, 30 bucks to watch the game. It's like, no, you know, it's, it's frustrating, but you know, once conference play picks up, that's when you're really going to be able to see this that's when you're really going to be able to form the, the solid opinions. Yeah. And by league cost quality, you mean like getting kicked out of your stream every couple of minutes, right? Yeah. Getting logged out for no reason. So that actually doesn't happen, but league pass has also finally ditched the scoreboard feed. It's kind of difficult to watch a game when there's a replay being shown every other play. Yeah. That it's for, for uh links games specifically for years. That was like, so oh, that was, that was so bad. Thank God. Like, you know, we, we like to, we like to make fun of league pass and, and rant about league pass. It has gotten better. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, this, uh, this season, you know, not for nothing with everything in the bubble, like this was definitely the best production. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, like kudos, kudos to the technical team. Like there was not nearly as many technical difficulties as, as I expected or anyone else expected, but yeah, I think we're, I think we're getting kind of off the rails here. So, uh, so thank you, uh, for asking me all these questions. It was, it was fun to discuss anything else. No, thank you for your, for your insight. This was fun. Uh, always right. nice to hear about players that, you know, you, you've seen the names floated out there, but you don't really have a ton of kind of background information uh, on them. So uh, with that being said, thank you all so much for listening. Um, please subscribe, rate, and review if you want to support the show. It would really mean a lot to us. Otherwise, please feel free to engage with us on Twitter at DoubleDown, WNBA, at Nemchok, E for Eric, at Trinkwald for myself. And Eric, anything else? Everyone, please stay safe and stay healthy out there. We're making it through this. Thank you.